0: I begin, I wanted to offer a personal word about Vacation Bible School as a parent. Uh, volunteers, all of you who gave of your offerings to make sure ministries like this can happen, it makes a difference. My kids went to sleep singing their Bible School songs, and one of them even made a slingshot after hearing about the story of David and Goliath in case any giants show up in their neighborhood. So I thank you, church. For giving them the confidence that they can slay giants in their own lives. And I've been exploring these unsung heroes of the Bible these last few weeks. And I've really had a lot of fun with that. And I just want you to always remember that if you miss something, you want to listen to something, we've got it on Facebook, we have it on YouTube, we have it in podcast form. um, All different ways that you can stay connected to uh, worship here But today I'm beginning a new series that I'm really excited about as well. It's called Great Prayers of the Bible. I wanted to uplift these prayers within Scripture in the hope that as we hear these prayers, that they can become our prayers, that they can inform our own prayer life and how we pray. As you know, there is no perfect one way to pray. Prayer is speaking from the heart to God, and our example of prayer today certainly speaks to that. This is a prayer that comes from the heart. It is Psalm 51. It's known as one of King David's Psalms. And even though we're going to focus on verse 10, which is, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and instill a new and right spirit within me. I'm going to read uh, 12 verses of this psalm so you get a sense of this prayer to God. And I invite you to read along in your Bibles with me on this. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. "'Against you, you alone, have I sinned "'and done what is evil in your sight, "'so that you are justified in your sentence "'and blameless when you pass judgment. "'Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, "'when my mother conceived me. "'You desire truth in the inward being. "'Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. "'Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. "'Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. "'Let me hear joy and gladness.'" Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain in me a willing spirit. This psalm is raw. It's honest. It's a heartfelt prayer of lament to God. Sometimes when I'm studying scripture, I pull out a different translation than I typically use just so my ears can hear it in a new way. And this week, I pulled from The Message, which is a very contemporary language version, and this is how The Message puts it. This is how Psalm 51 begins with that. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins and your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You are the one I violated. You've seen it all, the full extent of my evil. He's laying it out there. There is no hiding. In verse 6, it says, You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. That phrase, secret heart, reminded me of our own expression where we say the heart of hearts. It's it's to say to get to the essence, the heart of heart, the truth of the matter. And so much of the time, how many times have you put a smile on your face and you said, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm great. And you are anything but fine or good or great. You just... Put that smile on your face and try to hide the truth of your heart. And here is David. There's nothing to hide because you already know it, God. You know the extent of the sins, of the evil, of the mistakes of my life. There's no pretending here. I remember a man from my very first church. After I had met him, he had already spent some years In prison, he had uh, been convicted and served time for stealing from his workplace, stealing money. And before all this happened in his life, you know, he looked the part of a happily married father, deacon in the church, volunteered at every habitat build. Uh, And I remember him telling me that when the police came to his door, the first feeling he had was relief. Didn't have to pretend. Didn't have to pretend. You know, I have a do- I had a dog growing up named Maggie. It was a yellow lab mutt dog. Great dog. But she couldn't hide anything. When you walked through the door, you knew right away if things were good or bad with Maggie because... If she was good, she was greeting you, but if she was bad, she was trying to hide and not look you in the eye. And so you knew just by how she was acting to look for whatever she'd done, you know, destroyed a stuffed animal, ate some food off the countertops, or one time we had a missing we had a shoe in our house that did not belong to anyone in our household. <laughs> True story. my mom hung it from the stop sign near our house to hope somebody in the neighborhood would claim it because we had no idea where it came from. But that's the thing with her. You knew, you knew what was going on with her in her hearts, for good or for bad. And David is tired of trying to pretend his heart is okay because it's not. He's broken. He's lost. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. He's lost his sense of joy. He's lost a sense of gladness in life. Anyone know what that feels like? To feel that lost? To lose your sense of joy and wonder at life? And David's life had been so golden. He was the young boy whose faith was so big and strong that he believed he could take on Goliath. And he did, and he won. He was famous as a hero in the battlefield. And as he grew and King Saul became super jealous and threatened by him uh, and tried to kill him, when David had a chance to get Saul back, he showed him mercy two different times. David was merciful. And when he became king, he is the king that united the two kingdoms of Judah and Israel together. And when the Ark of the Covenant came into the holy city, David danced in joy and praise to God. He had been faithful, and now his life was broken. He's lost his sense of joy and gladness. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And put a new and right spirit within me. The word create here is the exact same word from Genesis chapter 1. When God creates the heavens and the earth out of chaos. It's like David saying, create, create new life out of my chaos. Give me a new heart out of this brokenness. If you notice in your Bible, there's a little historical note, a little subscription there. It's usually at the very top. That's where it is in my Bible, and it's a smaller font. And it's, uh, it says, like for me, it says, To the leader, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Gone to Bathsheba is certainly putting it mildly. You might remember the story. He saw the married Bathsheba. On the roof, he sent for her. She became pregnant. He panicked. He tried to do some things to cover his tracks. And when none of that worked, he sent her husband to the front of the battlefield where he was most certainly killed in battle. Now, when we talk about this story, we usually throw around the word affair, that what King David did. But as one minister pointed out to me one time, that if you were to take this story to the Rape and Sexual Assault Center, they would certainly see it differently. This wasn't an affair. Affair takes two willing participants. And this is a king who's sending for Bathsheba, who had no choice. David had all the power, he had all the control, he knew it, and he used it to his advantage. And here's the thing so often, it isn't just one big, bad choice we make. Sometimes it's a lot of little choices, a lot of little lines we step over, a lot of small choices till one day we look at ourselves in the mirror and we don't even recognize the person we see because we don't like who we've become. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore in me a right spirit within me. Nathan has confronted David with the reality of his life. He's held up a mirror in front of him, and David doesn't like what he sees. There are words we have said we wish we could take back, choices we wish we had not made, lies we wish we never, ever told, moments we know that we ignored or pretended or looked away from suffering. Times when we have been thoughtless and careless and cruel and prejudiced. The list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? After all, what are the hardest words to say to someone? I am sorry. Hard to say. I remember in my church in Tennessee, there was a man who was technically a member of a church. He was more of a Christmas and Easter kind of guy. I didn't really know him well. His family came much more regularly. And one day, he just came into my office and sat down. And I could tell he seemed almost spooked by something. He even really didn't even want to look me in the eye very much. And he said, how do I know if God forgives me? How do I know? And I blabbered on about God being merciful and loving. And now we... If we repent of our sins, if we ask forgiveness, God hears us and God honors that and we can trust that and know that. Silence. I knew it wasn't good enough. So I sort of pressed. Do you do you wanna do you want to talk to me? Do you want to get it off your shoulders? That I can be a listening ear for you. No, 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 no. How do I know if God forgives me? I talked some more about God being merciful and kind and loving. I suggested that perhaps he consider going to the person, if there is a person that he's hurt or wounded, to say I'm sorry, to try to make it right, that sometimes we do that for our own selves as much as anybody else, that that's an important thing to do. Nope. Silence. So finally, I just said, can I pray with you? And we prayed I said amen, he said thank you, and he walked out the door. And I have thought about that conversation so many times. And if I had it to do over, man, I'd want to open up the Bible and I'd say, God is merciful, God is loving. See this story here about God being like a father who throws a party for his no good lost son who's come home. God is like a woman who's searching for her precious lost coin and never gives up. God never stops searching, never stops loving like a shepherd looking for his lost sheep and celebrates when he's found it. I would tell them about the woman caught in adultery that they wanted to stone and Jesus managed to stop it. I tell them about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and the woman at the well. I tell them about that meal, the Lord's Supper, about that night in the upper room with the broken bread and Jesus' body that he offered as a saving sacrifice for all and I'd remind him that it was for all because Judas was there. You don't have to earn it or deserve it. Judas received that meal that night. Churches may sometimes try to stop people from this meal, but Jesus never did. And I would tell him to read about how Jesus died. And about how the very first thing he said from the cross Father, forgive them. They weren't even asking for his forgiveness, and he offered it anyway. And if he can forgive and love the people driving the nails into his wrists, he can love and forgive you. How's your heart? How's your heart, church? One day... You may feel like you are going through the motions in your life. You may feel lost and broken and numb. You may feel like you've lost your sense of joy and wonder. One day you might even look in the mirror and not like the person you see. Wonder how far you've gone. And if and when that is you, then I hope you'll remember this prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Amen.